This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the program that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan, and today we're talking about the role of positive emotion in helping us cope during stressful times, including caregiving for people facing life-threatening illness or bereavement. So my guest today is Dr. Judy Moskowitz. A so, Judy is a social and health psychologist whose work sheds light on how positive emotions can help us respond to significant life stress in a healthier way. So it turns out even in hard times, positive emotions can actually help us cope. Judy has a PhD in social psychology from Dartmouth in the US and a master's in public health from the University of California at Berkeley. Her research lab, and she's going to go, oh no, don't, don't do me the big intro. Here we go. <laughs> Her research lab is the recipient of numerous grants, including from the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health, the National Institute of Mental Health, and the National Institute of Nursing Research. I just want people to know, Judy, that you are conducting pioneering, patient-oriented <laughs> research that demonstrates that positive emotion can help people cope with significant physical illness and bereavement. I'm really excited that Judy's work examines the unique adaptive role that positive emotion has in the process of coping. Um, Judy's work has been able to demonstrate that the, the range of activities, these um, PPIs, um, activities designed to support positive emotion are effective and that they increase positive affect. They're helpful in reducing stress and depression and improve health behaviors. So kia ora Judy, we are delighted to have you with us. Welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. Thank you. Thank you so much for the, the chance to talk to you and thank you for the fantastic introduction. What I want to do is to talk and kind of think about this as an interview of two halves. And first of all, talk about the work, um, your work around bereavement and um, people coping with bereavement. And then we'll move on and talk more about the, the role of positive emotions in health. So if we think about um, the bereavement side, your work back in the 1990s focused on people who were caregivers through their partner's terminal illness. And this was mainly working with um, younger people who were, had a partner who was um, dying from AIDS, HIV. Mm-hmm. And so um, in that time, you know, most of the focus on bereavement uh, and the whole stress of it was about stress and coping. And yet, I love that you were surprised to find that the men in this study yeah. wanted to talk about the good things. So mm-hmm. talk to me more about, you know, what you learned through that and, and how you came to, to appreciate the importance of positive emotion. Yeah, so the, um, that was the first place where... I really had sort of this light bulb that positive emotion occurs in the midst of significant life stress and can be beneficial, uh, that people have the ability and maybe the need to talk about the positive things going on, no matter how bad things are. So um, the the sample, the, the caregivers we were studying were men caring for their partners with AIDS. So as you said, this was the early 1990s. There, the, there weren't yet really effective Mm -hmm. treatments for AIDS. So it was essentially a terminal illness. And we were interviewing the men every two months over the course of, you know, somewhere in the study up to five years uh, throughout the course of caregiving, which was the main focus. But then of course, a number of the partners died. So it ended up where we were studying the stress of bereavement, which is 
also one of the most stressful things, uh, human experiences. These men also had, there's, there's another social stress around in that at that time, there was still a huge stigma attached to AIDS and, and, and really little social support and a lot of um, shunning. You know, like, mm-hmm. how hard does something have to get? How many layers of... Um... Right. And the additional layer of it was that some of, the me- some of the caregivers were HIV positive themselves. So they had that additional layer of stress. So it was a very, again, some of the, the most extreme stress that humans experience. And we were coming at it, uh, you know, the, the principal investigator in the study was Susan Folkman, the, you know, mother of stress and coping research. Um, she... Uh, we were coming at it very much of the stress and coping lens. So like having the, the caregivers talk about um, what was stressful about caregiving or, you know, the death of their partner, if the, the, the partner had passed away. Um, and then how did they cope with it? So we handed them the ways of coping checklist and said, okay, you just told us about a stressful thing that happened in the past week. How did you cope with it? And, you know, was it problem focused coping or escape avoidance or, you know, the standard ways of coping ways and shortly after the start of the study, the caregivers were like, you're not asking us about the good things, which <laughs> surprised us because we were looking at it from, you know, what do you mean the good things? You're, you're in a terrible place. You're, part- yeah. you're in a terrible place. Why are you talking about good things? But, you know, Susan is brilliant and she listened to her participants and added the positive, meaningful event question. So we started um, ending the interviews actually with, okay, now tell us that you just told us about something stressful. Tell us about something positive and meaningful that helped you get through a day. And in almost every interview, they could come up with something. And it was often something really small. It was, you know, a walk on the beach, or I was able to make my partner a meal he appreciated, a good cup of coffee, but they were off, they weren't like massive, you know, uh, he's been cured or, you know, it turns yeah. out it was a mistake. He didn't actually die. I mean, like the awful things were still really awful, yet they were able to experience these positive things alongside that. So that was sort of the first clue for me that, you know, there was there was something in the the positive emotion or the ability to experience these positive events in the midst of stress that could be helpful. And so there's been, you know, there's been such a strong focus on the negative emotions of grief. And your work is really showing that positive emotions support people through grief. And so um, tell us more about the difference it makes to have, to be, ex- to, to be able to experience positive emotions in grief. And, and then let's come on and talk more about the implications of that. Yeah, I mean, I think one... One really important, you know, start to actually start with the implications. I'll take it backwards. One of the the important implications is that um, it's, it's not about pretending like grief isn't awful and having someone you love die isn't awful because it is. And the negative emotions and the, the feelings and emotions around grief are very real and necessary and part of the whole experience Mm -hmm. that said there is the possibility to experience positive emotions as well, right? So we know that they can co-occur, that there are moments of positive emotion and that um, you can notice them and capitalize on them and talk about them. And that can help you then cope better with the grief. Um, There's been some uh, work done, maybe it's maybe about 10 years old now, uh, where um, 
Anthony Ong, who's at Cornell, actually did a study of the occurrence of positive emotion in women who were recently bereaved. And they found that, you know, it was absolutely possible. These women were reporting positive emotions and that those who did report more positive emotions were actually able to adjust better um, in the longer run. And it didn't mean that they weren't experiencing negative emotions. So again, it's not about pretending like this isn't bad or suppressing those feelings or denying them. They, it's just that you can also experience positive emotion. And so it's, it's, this is around saying, yes, yes, you can. And I guess the, the other pieces, and if you're not inclined to, it may be worthwhile going looking for some. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. You can. It's not just that, you know, people are naturally positive, that some people are just naturally positive and they'll experience that. And then the rest of us are out of luck. It, it is a skill that you can develop. Um, and you, you do have some control over that, which I think is really helpful, especially in situations yeah, like where I, I was you don't have any control. We talk about gratitude a lot in our work, and and I often finish with saying to people, some of us are born grateful, and the rest of us can practice. And yeah. and I, this feels the That's same. And that, you know, if you are one of the one of the the sort of fortunate people who naturally finds they are able to um, experience positive emotion along with their grief and have that adaptive response and help them yay for you, but actually we need to share this finding with so many other people um, mm-hmm. to say, and if it's not, not, if it's not naturally and easily happening, go out and look for it. You know, when we talk That's about right. hunt, hunt the good stuff, go and go and yep. do some Create it. finding. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And so is that something that your work encourages and teaches people to do? I know you're working more with, in, with health conditions at the moment, but is that something you would see as being useful for people in a bereaved situation? Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, you know, our program of work is, although it is primarily with people with health conditions, that's because of the way our funding institute, you know, the National Institute of Health is set up. It's very siloed into primarily diseases. So if you want to get funding to study, for example, a program that helps people have more positive emotion to cope with stress, you look to the stress of having an illness. So that's how we've ended up in these various illness categories. But really, I think it can apply to any kind of stress. Because one of the things I loved um, in one of the articles that you wrote with George Bonanno, there's, there's, um, there's a sentence about the the prevalence and salutary nature of positive emotions during bereavement. And I think that's so lovely. Um, But it, it kind of feels like, does it feel sometimes like resilience theorists and and bereavement theorists haven't been speaking much? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's, um, uh, you know, maybe it's, maybe bereavement is the ultimate stressor and we just, the stress researchers haven't really gone there yet um, to bring resilience to it. I mean, George is obviously an exception. He's, he's been talking about this for a number of years. You know, it feels, it feels kind of almost cruel that um, the work you're doing is showing that positive emotions are really adaptive, even in bereavement. And yet there have been, um, there has been some bereavement um, work that's kind of um, 
tried to say that, oh, well, if someone's able to experience positive emotions, it's generally because they didn't really care about the person very much. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's such a slap in the face of, of yeah. so many people who, who are experiencing huge, deep grief and able to experience positive emotion. Right. Or, you know, are able to carry on. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean they didn't care or that they're not feeling the negative emotions very deeply. Right. Yeah, that, that the people who, whose way of coping is to go and get right back to work or get involved in something. And it's, yeah. Yeah, I find, and I find that kind of, um, it's kind of sad. But actually, I think it's important too, because I think that kind of language makes its way out into every day. And you hear mm-hmm. people saying those kind of things, which is really, really unhelpful. So I'm curious about, you know, the bereavement theorists and health professionals tending to, do you think they pathologize grief? you know, we're told to express. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I, yeah. Like it's, um, you know, I I mean, and there are diagnoses like, you know, complicated grief again, you know, I'm not a clinician, so take that into account, but um, yeah. I mean, I think in general we pathologize negative emotions and that's, I think a danger when you're in positive psychology or doing positive psychological interventions that, you know, it may be seen as saying, don't feel negative emotions. They're bad. Like, and that's absolutely not true. It's, you know, they're negative. Humans have evolved (laughs) to pay attention to the the negative emotions are a signal that something needs attention. Right. So they're important. Um, That said, you can also experience positive emotions alongside those negative emotions. So I'm, I'm very much an advocate of um, all emotions are good and all emotions serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. And what we should be working toward is the right balance for us to help us sort of carry on. Mm. And I guess just as in the same way within the positive psychology field, um, it's really important not to go, ooh, positive emotions, or negative emotions are, are, are bad. No, they're really right. profound and important and useful. Mm-hmm. Likewise, it may be important in, say, the bereavement field to acknowledge the relevance and importance of positive emotion. That's right. Yep. That's actually true in bereavement in, um, you know, talking about depression in other types of mental illness and anxiety. There's a role for positive emotion. For people who are listening and aren't aware of these suite of, of positive emotion skills mm-hmm. you teach, run us through them. So noticing positive events, which yeah. is, what we learned from the caregivers that even in the midst of stress, you can notice positive events, capitalizing on them or savoring them. Um, Sort of giving you a chance to re-experience them by writing them down or telling someone about it or putting it on social media. Gratitude, which I think needs no explanation. Um, Positive reappraisal. So the ability to see how this might have been worse or how you've learned something or, you know, something good that has come out of the situation that you initially thought was really bad. Um, Your initial appraisal might have been really negative and you're able to positively reappraise it so that maybe it's not quite as bad as it was initially. So is that kind of like benefit finding? It, It Benefit finding is a... Yes, a yeah. closely related cousin. Yes, yeah. I like that. That's so the, the, of, 
the reappraisal kind of focuses our attention on the fact that, yeah, the initial appraisal was, oh, this is awful. And then, right. yeah, okay, we're, we're doing some benefit finding after in there. Okay. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, uh, another of the skills is mindfulness. Um, and we don't do the full, you know, mindfulness-based stress reduction um, course. It is a real focus on sort of the attention awareness piece and the non-judgment piece. So being aware of your feelings and your experiences and your sensations in the moment and not, you know, rehashing what's just happened or rehearsing what's coming up, but really being in the moment and experiencing whatever you're experiencing and then not judging yourself for it. <laughs> so um, it's, it's sort of a mini mindfulness yeah. uh, session. And is the role of that really to allow us to, um, to notice and pay attention to the moments of our days that are good and are okay? I think it absolutely does play that role. Um, just a, a short digression on when I yeah. was putting these skills together, I was at the Osher Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, which has a very large um, both public program and mindfulness as, as well as a research program um, around different types of mindfulness-based interventions. And I was talking to our research director and I said, I want to do this intervention with skills that target positive emotion. And he said, well, you've got to include mindfulness. Well, it's not really a positive emotion skill. Um, It's an awareness skill. And although it is shown to be related to positive emotion, I'm not sure that, you know, in the samples I'm going to be testing this in, which the first sample was people newly diagnosed with HIV, do I really want to make them more aware of everything as part of this intervention that's supposed to be targeting positive emotion? Um, But he convinced me that I should try it. um, And we did. And I'm, I really think it, it, it's almost like a, um, a meta skill that helps, uh, helps the individual engage in all the rest of the skills. So yes, if you're more mindful, you're more aware of the positive things that are going on. You're more aware of things you're grateful for. You, you might be more aware of your personal strengths. So like that awareness piece and also the non-judgment is really key, which, um, you know, I'm trying this positive reappraisal. I just can't do it, you know, yeah. and that's okay. Sort of that sort of self-compassion, mm-hmm. non-judgment piece, I think is really key too. I sometimes have people who are very into mindfulness ask me, why don't you just do mindfulness? And, and my response is, mindfulness works really well for the people that it works really well for. <laughs> so, you know, the, for some people, it is just not their thing. And it is never going to be their thing. So for me to come and say, you know, the key to having more positive emotion is to be more mindful. Full stop. I'm going to lose a lot of people. So mindfulness, let's see, positive reappraisal we talked about. Um, noticing personal strengths. So, I, you know, in the, in the context of stress, I think it can be particularly hard to know what your strengths are and what sort of personal resources you can bring to coping with the situation. So that's how this session is focused. It's, it's around sort of what's good about you um, and, and, and the strengths that you can bring to the situation. Um, you know, this might be really hard. There might even be parts of it that you caused, but there are also good things about you and there are good things about you. So um, that's sort of our focus with the, the personal strength piece.
And one of the things I'm curious about is um, the coming from a more collectivist culture, the idea that we, we you know, Tayyab Rashid said to me once in, in, in discussions that I had to remember, he said, remember with, with, with Muslim cultures, um, in the West, agency is individual. In, for Muslim cultures, agency is collective. And, <laughs> and I'm interested in the sense that, say, here in New Zealand, for Maori people, for our first people, um, there would be a sense that I couldn't talk about my strengths individually as separate from my extended mm. that, <laughs> and that And that my strengths can include the place where I live, the land I belong to, you know. Yes. And, and we take a very Western-centric approach to this and, you know, for to the detriment of our participants who aren't uh, in, in, in more Western culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is something I'm really interested in how, as, as we tailor this program for different stressors, I'm also interested in tailoring it for different cultures and, you know, that Jeannie size work in terms of um, how different cultures value different emotions. So not everyone thinks that positive emotion, this very individual sort of high activation thing is the, you know, the, the golden ring or the thing we should be searching for. Um, So I think there's a lot of, a lot of um, ways that the program could be tailored to be a better fit for different cultures. But even like the, the search Institute in the U S has done some such beautiful work because, you know, like we have the VIA with 24 strengths and the search Institute comes out to about 140 because they talk about your personal internal assets and the external assets and your community assets that are available to you, which is so nice. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really beautiful. And it makes me think, so we, we don't, offer our participants the via or the strengths finder or a way to like list them all out. We give them a list of sort of good qualities (laughs) that they can pay. If they can't come up with any on their own, we're like, well, look at this list. Aren't you some of these things? How about this? What about this? Um, But I do think we could expand our list. I like this collectivist Um, idea. Well, you know, on a really bad day, um, one of the things that I might really appreciate is that I have a loving family. You know, if I, if, I can't, if I can't find strengths in me, I might go, wow, I've got a beautiful garden and I've got, I've got a really loving family, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that's, I mean, many of these skills overlap. So, like, I would see that, you know, I'm having a bad day. I can't think of anything good about myself right now, but I have a great family. I would think of that as um, either a positive reappraisal, like this is bad, but at least I've got a good family. Um, or something to be grateful for. So, uh, you know, it, you can put these pieces together in lots of different ways and construct this program. It kind of doesn't um, matter what, what door we go through as long as we're getting through there. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So this, this list, is there anything else after mm. missed anything? Yes, I, I, there's, there's two, two more. Um, and sort of, I mean, so the, the package, the original group was eight skills. We've, you know, added in self-compassion sometimes and sometimes other things, depending on the group. Um, but in terms of the original eight, um, the last two are um, sort of attainable goals 
um, smart goal setting. So with the, you know, based on the, the literature showing that even perceptions of progress toward a goal uh, results in more positive emotion, right? So this, we, we help the participants um, uh, sort of set goals that are at the right level of difficulty so that it's not so easy that they would do it no matter what, but it's not so hard that they'll fail so that they get this experience of making progress and having some success. And that's um, pretty reliably related to increases in positive emotion. And then the last skill is acts of kindness. So up to this point, the first seven are very intra-focused or you know individually focused. And the acts of kindness really focuses outward and, and the ability to um, help someone else. And again, in the context of when you're experiencing something really stressful and you can really get down on yourself and you know, this is awful and I'm experiencing this and I can't get out of it. If you can do something kind for someone else, it really gives you sort of a boost and it's like, well, you know, there is something good about me, right? I can, I can, I can help someone else. And that's really helpful. I'm, I'm a person who's able to help another human being. I'm therefore kind of a few rungs up the ladder from Mm -hmm. helpless or useless. Yeah. And here we are in June 2020 in the midst of a COVID pandemic. You know, we are losing mm-hmm. people and losing people in very challenging circumstances. And, you know, I was talking to our, our palliative care colleagues recently and they were saying, look, in New Zealand, we've been very l- lucky to escape the massive number of deaths that you've been experiencing in the US. Mm-hmm. But what, what they were reminding me of was that during what lockdown did was mean that any of the normal bereavements that were going to happen became difficult or traumatic because people weren't able to be with their families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it is that, that, that adds a whole new layer of stress. Um, mm-hmm. So what messages would you want to share with people who are um, supporting bereaved people or are bereaved themselves? You know, because it's a, it's a, it's a frighteningly big number of people that we have lost this year, isn't it? Yeah, it's unbelievable. It, yeah. it is, and um, I mean, I would I would go back to the message that I have for um, providers or anyone supporting anyone going through any kind of stress is that uh, you know acknowledge that it's awful. Yeah, and and don't try to suppress those emotions or, or be Pollyanna about it. And, and then know that there, there is the possibility to experience positive emotion alongside that. And there are things you can do to have these experiences of positive emotion that can help you cope with the bereavement. I don't claim that this is the magical package of eight skills and um, you know, the solution is here. It's more, these have worked for some people. Yeah. Give it a try. <laughs> what have you got to lose? The, you know, the, the side effects are minimal. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think, um, yeah. And the more research we do and the more samples we're able to, or the different populations were able to show that even, you know, in some of the most stressful life circumstances, these can be helpful. So that sort of keeps me, um, sustains me in doing this research yeah. because I've seen over and over again, I've seen the data, I've seen personal experience, I've seen friends, you know, anecdotes of, of these things really working for people again in really dark circumstances. 
So moving on to thinking about the work that you've done in so many, so many, I'm just amazed at, at the, the range of work you've done. But um, so having found, I love what you talked about. Um, I, I listened to you on a, a map um, webinar and this idea yeah. that you think, okay, so people are experiencing um, positive emotions, even in stressful situations, but what's the so what? You know, is it? <laughs> yeah, does it matter? Yeah, does it matter? Mm-hmm. What way does it help? And so you've looked at the role of positive emotions in coping with significant life stress and illness. And what are that? Talk to us about the benefits. Talk to us about the so what. So, um, you know, the biggest so what is that people with more positive emotion live longer. Yeah. Right. So I've done some of this work, uh, but there's a huge body of work showing that. Um, positive emotion measured all kinds of different ways, whether it's just your self-report of how you felt yesterday or, you know, coding of your narrative. Um, and then this is in the nun study that their, their narratives that were written when they entered the convent, the amount of positive emotion sentences predicted how long they would live. And it was a big difference, something like I want to say 10 years between the highest number of positive emotion sentences and the lowest. Um, so it's really significant impact on longevity, even when you control for the negative emotions, which is sort of the, the really key piece there, because, you know, we've known for a long time, or at least researchers have known that depression and negative emotions predict earlier death, predict mortality. Um, but when you put positive emotions into that same model, they are more predictive of longevity. So they seem to be, you know, important and more important than negative emotions, which I think is really stunning. Um, And that's been shown in a number of studies now. So I think it's pretty solid finding. So that's sort of one really big thing. Um, There are deaf, there's, you know, data showing that positive emotion is related to, you know, um, a lower stress response. So even the physiological stress response, um, you know, Barb Fredrickson showed this beautifully in some of her earlier work um, and continues to show it beautifully. I don't mean to disparage her current work, but you know, this, this idea that positive emotion actually helps you um, helps buffer the stress response, which I think is again, another really solid replicated finding um, in the field. Um, And then there's, you know, work that, um, positive emotion is related to better health behaviors. So people with more positive emotion are more like they eat, their diets are better. Mm -hmm. They're more likely to engage in physical activity. Um, And of course there, there is a reciprocal (laughs) relationship there. So it's not just that, um, you know, you have a better diet, you're more likely to have a better mental state and more positive emotion, but then that positive emotion also feeds back to help boost your, Mm-hmm. preventive and beneficial health behaviors too. So the, the both directions um, yeah. are true. So it's just a question of where do you want to jump into that cycle? Um, uh, and uh, oh, the, the, another important one is that people with more positive emotion are more likely to adhere to their medications and to their doctor's recommendations. So, uh, you know, there's lots of good reason in sort of the health field for increasing positive emotion can improve your physical health. You know, you've conducted trials on um, the benefits of positive moment, positive emotion, 
for people in a huge range of settings. So, you know, dementia, HIV, diabetes, bipolar, mm-hmm. stage four breast cancer and depression. This is, mm-hmm. you know, and I know you said, yeah, that's where we, we can get the funding for, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's massive. And so, you know, we've talked about the range of skills, the range of positive emotional skills that you can teach people, but um, tell us about how that's working and what you're finding. Yeah, so it's really interesting. So, uh, you know, it is true that to some extent our selection of sample is driven by where we can get funded to do the research. Um, but there are also um, interesting ways to think about these different samples and ways that they might differ and ways that that um, condition that they have might impact the effect that positive emotion can have. So, for example, you know, when we find things that are different across studies, so in our, in our first intervention of uh, our first trial of this intervention in people newly diagnosed with HIV, we found some effects, but we didn't get effects on say depression, for example. So there was some suggestion, not quite significant that it increased positive emotion, but we didn't get an effect on depression and, you know, with a, a attention match control group. And then when we did a study of dementia caregivers, we got effects on, um, positive emotion and those effects mediated the effect on depression. So we got both effects. And when you look at these two samples, they're really different in a lot of different ways. One way is that the people newly diagnosed with HIV were naturally improving on their well-being because we we recruited them at this sort of high point of the, the most stressful point. They were just diagnosed. So then the natural course of that is improving positive emotion and decreasing depression. So our intervention on top of that didn't have a lot of yeah. um, bandwidth to make a difference. Yeah. Whereas with the dementia caregivers, their situations were all getting worse. Mm-hmm. So I think one reason we were able to find an effect in that sample is because their situation was getting worse. So we had more Uh, there was more room for the positive emotion skills to make a difference. So um, those are two of the samples we've looked at it in, Um, in the depression sample that you mentioned, um, we're trying also different delivery methods. So we're, you know, we're varying lots of things. So it's hard to know exactly what the difference is. Um, But our depression study is a self-guided online version of the intervention. So these same skills, but uh, people, you know, log in and sort of learn them uh, in a more self-paced way. There's no, human, you know, holding their hand and telling them what these skills are. Um, And we found that um, the intervention, you know, improves depression, increases positive emotion. Um, There's some interesting findings with mediating of positive emotion, but it, uh, yeah, so we're, we're sort of slowly building on the questions. Yes, go ahead. Sorry, to be able to show that you can do this intervention in a self-paced online way, yeah. Um, which is so much more cost effective is actually really mm-hmm. exciting. You know, one of the concerns we so often have is that actually it's the personal contact with somebody that really adds a lot of juice to these things. So to realize that, that you can do it online is very exciting. Yeah. And it's uh, one of the studies we're doing right now. So our first caregivers, dementia caregiver study was um, remote <laughs> delivery, but via video. So there was a live facilitator who, you know, called them every week with a video chat and, and taught them the skills and that, and it was very uh, effective. Um, The study we're about to launch. In fact, I clicked 
yes, starting recruitment today, um, is comparing, uh, it's all Alzheimer's caregivers, but they'll either receive the same sort of video chat delivery of the skills versus the self-paced. Now, I am under no illusion that the self-paced is going to be as good as the one with the facilitator, but if it's good enough, yeah. <laughs> it's much more um, cost-effective to yeah. disseminate it. So we're hopeful for you know, it to be yeah. almost as good. And are there any other differences that you've been able to find with people experiencing different illnesses or different age groups? Nothing consistent yet. Um, you know, the in, in meta-analyses of positive psychological interventions, of which this is one type mm -hmm. of one, obviously, um, you know, sometimes you find that people who are more depressed to begin with benefit mm -hmm. more, which, you know, again, they've got more space to go. Um, sometimes there are age differences. It's not really consistent. And, and across our studies, we haven't found anything that's like, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. You know, this only works for women. Like, no, it's, it's really, not true. We, kind of exciting. We're not finding the moderators. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the positive reappraisal of it, right? I love that you have this overall hypothesis for your life's work on your webpage. I'm like, yes, this woman has a, you know, your mission is there very clearly. Um, and the overall hypothesis for your work is that the regular experience of positive emotion will help build coping resources and improve health behaviors, leading to better physical and psychological well-being. That's a big hypothesis. And, and you, you know, you're building with all these different studies. How, how much of that hypothesis do you have support for now? Um, well, we, for every one of our trials, positive emotion is always our most proximal and primary outcome. So, you know, my first goal is, are we increasing the experience, the daily experience of positive emotion? And we've got pretty good evidence for that um, when we measure it correctly. So that's like, you know, we're, we're learning as we go along. And I do think that it is the, the daily experience um, that makes a difference. Uh, and, and we're less likely to pick it up when we ask people to retrospectively report how have you felt over the past month. We're less likely to see the differences. But when we ask them, you know, over, say, a week every day, how, how, how are you today? We're, 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 it seems that we're picking that up better. So I do think that it's the daily experience of positive emotion. Yeah. And, and I guess it, just pulling back for a sec, that with that, so the daily experience of positive emotion is changing which means that the set of skills that you're teaching them you know from that set of skills people are able to learn and find something that they can practice that makes a difference and that, that's and and that's i mean that is that explanation is consistent with the data yeah. we haven't been able to you know say clearly that this is exactly what's going on because we haven't had good measures of what they're practicing and what they're continuing to practice. Um, but that hypothesis is what we hope and it is consistent with the data. We did have um, a recent study where we were able to show that um, participants in the intervention had, and these are people living with HIV, were um, had better health behaviors in terms of reducing their um, methamphetamine use. So we got an effect on drug use and, dr and, and that's biologically confirmed. So it was through mm -hmm. a urine test. So we, people who were in the intervention compared to the control group were using less. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also found an effect on viral load. 
which is, you know, the, that's the goal in HIV treatment is to get your viral load to sort of the undetectable level. And participants who were in the intervention arm were more likely to have suppressed viral load over, I think it was 15 months or 18 months. Um, so we did have an impact on that physical health mm -hmm. outcome. This is really significant. You are, you know, you are, your work is able to show that positive emotion is supporting the building of coping resources. And we are seeing, you know, you are seeing changed health behaviors and, and changes mm -hmm. in well-being. So you must be so, yeah. so overall pretty excited, pretty pleased with. It's, it's good. I mean, I'm, um, it, you know, you, what you're hearing is the, the outcome after, you know, years of staring at the data. And what's the next piece for you? So one thing I would love to do is, and we, you know, we have a grant under review for this right now, is to be able to support more um, research groups and, you know, community-based organizations to be able to bring these skills to their particular population of interest. Based on your research, what's your advice to, to people at the moment coping with stress and the whole range of stress that's out there yeah so i mean the you know the overall yeah advice is the, yeah, the i know we've kind of touched on this already yeah yeah so i mean so it's you know that it, you know practice any of these skills find something that works for you and try to experience then you know have the experience of positive emotion and know that that's possible and that can help you yeah when you know it first became clear how bad the coronavirus um, pandemic was going to be. And I started talking to, um, you know, getting people wanting to talk about how do we cope with this? How can we use positive emotion to cope with this? And I would go back and forth between, you know, internally, um, this, this can't help. <laughs> this is so bad. And then, and, and now, you know, in the US where we're sort of having this national reckoning with our history of systemic racism and police violence and brutality and you know, it's, it's the sort of surfacing of that awfulness on top of the awfulness of COVID and all the deaths. And, you know, I, it, it leaves me questioning whether there's any point to the work that I do. Um, oh, no, but I know, well, you know yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It's, it's a negative emotion. I can sit with it and, yeah. and it's okay. And this is what I tell people for, you know, coping with COVID, coping with the social upheaval um, is that, you know, the negative emotions are important. And particularly when we're looking at protests and, um, you know, social justice, like that anger and that frustration and that those feelings of helplessness um, can actually fuel you to get engaged and to do something. And the positive emotions can help sustain you through the fight of addressing huge systemic problems, um, which don't go away overnight, right? So those, take, those are gonna take a long time and we need to stay in the fight. Um, and I think that's where positive emotions and positive psychology can really have a role in sort of the self-care of the activists or you know however however you're trying to contribute to the solutions
Judy, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you today. Thank you so much for sharing your work with us. Um, I, know, I know lots of people will really enjoy listening to this interview. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much, Denise. I really appreciate the opportunity and it's been fun talking with you. We should do it again sometime. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. You can listen to a podcast of this show on oar.org.nz or on nziwr.co.nz or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. This program has been brought to you by the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience. To purchase books or online programs on coping with loss and resilient grieving, go to nziwr.co.nz. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.